Welcome to our 38th Rising Tide Ocean podcast. This is David Helvarg and our co-host, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Good morning. Good morning. Today we're talking with Matt Mosley. He's an adventure swimmer uh, with record swims, including from the U.S. Virgin Islands to Puerto Rico, across 25 miles of Lake Pontchartrain in Louisiana. He's an author, communication strategist, and more. And I definitely plan to read his book on uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, Gonzo author he worked with. But Matt, you've, you've said that uh, fish can't live where people can't swim. So let's start with that. Uh, when did you learn to swim? <laughs> you know, I started swimming at a very young age growing up in South Louisiana. I always had an attraction to the water. We would we grew up going to the ocean in South in, in Florida. And um, it just really was a part of me, you know, and I didn't swim in college, I wasn't that fast. I wasn't going to get a scholarship or anything, you know, compared to what people are doing in the Olympics these days, which was so inspiring. The swimming was just amazing with the Olympics. But um, I came back to it when I was in graduate school at CU in Boulder. And um, we are just about to leave for our yearly family river trip down the Colorado River. It'll be our 26th year with the family. And so when my wife was in law school here and I was in graduate school, she gave me this canoe. And the canoe was kind of a chipped in from my dad and all these other friends. It was really a great gesture. But it came with a trip down the Colorado River from Moab to the confluence of the Green through Canyonlands. And I happened to just be getting back into swimming at CU. I brought my goggles and my cap and I had this profound revelation that, oh my gosh, you could take away the lane lines, you could take away the clock and you can even get rid of the coach. <laughs> and so it just, re- it was, it, it really was profound in the sense of what was so different about swimming in open water versus the pool. You know, I, I equate it with some people to going hiking on a trail versus running around a track as fast as you can go. And so hiking on the trails is much more meditative. And so that's why, that's how I came back to it. And, you know, just one thing led to another. And uh, the next thing you know, I found myself with Vicky in the middle of the night there in the Caribbean, having, trying to swim across the ocean. Well, so you weren't thrown from the canoe. You weren't forced to swim in that river. That's just where you started. That's just, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And it's beautiful. You know, the water's amazing it's it's very silty but it's you know it's colorado freshwater mountain snowmelt and uh it's it's amazing you're floating through the canyons and the eagles are flying overhead it's awesome and you didn't hit any rocks well that is one of the um that's one of the dangers of river swimming uh you know this water moves about one to two three miles an hour there's sandy beaches everywhere, but there are sticks. You got to be careful for rocks. And so I'm always very careful to have a, a support crew. And as Vicki knows, um, you know, the support team's really important to me in swimming. And I always have a, a kayaker or two right next to me, keeping me fed and safe and, um, you know, all around uh, direction. So I'm not completely clear. So that river was your first. You've had sort of four major swims. Maybe run us through them. You betcha. Well, that was 26 years ago that I started, I would say that I really, my introduction to open water swimming. And then I started signing up for 10K races and just one thing led to another. And so uh, about, I don't know, 10 years ago, I shattered my leg on on a, 
uh, in an accident, a climbing accident off of a rock and broke my tibia fibia. It was a horrible accident. It took me several years to recover. And it was in that convalescence that I set the goal to be the first person to swim across Lake Pontchartrain. And so we had been doing these adventure swims and Vicky knows a little bit about this, but what we would do is say, Hey, let's go, let's go to Telluride bluegrass festival. But first we're going to swim a few miles on the Colorado river and then we'll drop into Telluride or with my cousin, Glenn Mangum, who's my swimming partner in crime. We'd say, Hey, let's go to jazz fest in new Orleans, but we'll go, we'll go swim on Lake Pontchartrain for a few miles. And so I just kept building on that. And after I got my accident, I, I set the goal to be the first person to swim Ponce train for 25 miles. And so spent several years training up to that. And that was my first big swim that I did. And you crossed like North shore to new Orleans or how'd you go? Yeah. I went from new Orleans to the North shore. Yeah. And that was an epic trip with a video and lots of celebration. So tell us about that and how you combine that with your music and your advocacy. Thanks Vicki. That's a great question because that gets to the heart of really why I swim. I mean, it's a, you know, I love the connection with the water and through that connection, which I feel is very ancient. It's very old. It's, it's like we are fish, you know, at, at our heart. We, that's why we need water. That's why the blue mind exists. Um, and so in those hours spent in the water, I feel like it makes me a really good ambassador for what water is telling us and some of the stories that it tells. And so, you know, in Lake Pontchartrain, uh, the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation had worked for 25 years to clean up the lake that had been decimated by agricultural runoff, dredging, um, trash, oil development. You know, Vicki, you know a lot of these problems really well in, in our work with, with inland oceans and, and protecting rivers. Um, and just how, you know, how hardworking they are and how much assault they are under. And so teaming up every one of these swims, I team up with an environmental organization. When Vicky was on the boat in the Caribbean, on the Caribbean swim, we had teamed up with five gyres uh, who were testing for plastics in the ocean. Um, and in this past swim that I just did down the Green River, that was on June 27th for 40 miles, it was 14 hours, 36 minutes. And we teamed up with American Rivers um, who and, uh, are really about, you know, protecting free flowing rivers and advocacy in the, on the federal level. You've been swimming yeah. in different medium um, to raise these issues in lakes and rivers. Um, when did you swim from uh, the Virgin Islands to Puerto Rico? And, and how is it different to swim in the ocean than swim in fresh water? What a great question. <laughs> Vicky can talk about that too. Um, you know, this was what Vicky, I think about five, six years ago. Yeah. We did it have to, to look up the date, but it was a great team. We had uh, met in St. John and then Vicky got on the boat in St. Thomas for the second leg. I'd swam from St. John to St. Thomas. That was pretty small. That, that was like a six mile swim. But then the next day we were attempting to swim from, I say we, but I was in the water. Vicky was on the support boat with another team of about 12 people, um, including some scientists from five gyres who were testing the waters as we swam for plastics. Uh, when I got in the water, it was like five or six foot 
chop in the, in the ocean. And it was very windy. It was very choppy, a lot of currents. I swam for, I think close to 16, 17 hours and get out on the shore and thinking I'm in Vieques. Puerto Rico. <laughs> and I was, I was in Puerto Rico. I was in Kula, Kula. I was on a little island called Kula Brita, which is about 24 miles off the coast of Puerto Rico. So still in the U S Virgin islands. Um, so I swam from the British Virgin Islands to the, you know, the, to the USVIs. But, you know, hey, things don't always work out the way you planned. Um, and, you know, there is always weather. And that's part of these adventures is expect the unexpected. But, you know, what, something else like swimming in Lake Pontchartrain, the water has a very different taste and feel. Swimming in the ocean very, very different, um, a whole different swell. Like Train is only 12 feet deep, so you get this real chop on it. But you know what's really interesting is that I found in my you know, 25 years plus of you know, swimming around the world from Greece to Hawaii to Mexico to South America to the UK, you know, every piece of water, every body of water has its own taste, its own, it's like a person really, if you will, with its very own unique characteristics. And through those characteristics, it tells you where it's come from and where it's going and what's happening with it. And it speaks to me when I'm swimming in the water and it sort of tells you these, these, these secrets, right, about what it is. And I've been working on another book called Soul is Waterproof about the story of water told through adventure swimming. And it's very curious about, you know, where does water come from? You know, I think there's still a lot of debate on whether it was, you know, sort of made as the primordial gases of the earth were cooling. Some scientists believe that it came in on missile or on missile on meteorites. And that as the meteorites came through the atmosphere, the, uh, you know, hydrogen crystals mixed with oxygen and, you know, because we can't make a water molecule today, right? I mean, we can't go in a lab and say, all right, we need more water. Let's take hydrogen and oxygen and make this little magical crystal. We can't do that. So let me ask you, and if it's too personal, you don't have to answer, but which water personality do you prefer, fresh, salty, or brackish? <laughs> oh, gosh. That's like asking me my favorite band, <laughs> my favorite music, right? Um I mean, you know, I love rivers because of the fresh water and the moving nature. Um, I love lakes, and I did a lot of training up at Carter Lake and Horsetooth Reservoir. But, you know, oceans, too, are kind of the most daunting. They're the most risky. There's a lot of wildlife. Uh, and so, you know, I'd say I love ocean swimming a ton. You know, water is the most critical issue of our time. Screw oil, screw gold. None of that really matters in the end. Water is what matters in the end. And we are coming to this visceral point. You know, David, you mentioned it. Are we, are we past, um, you know, sounding the alarm? And are we, are we on full-on catastrophe mode now? And the drought in the West, you know, this goes back to Lake Powell and Lake Mead. 40 million people depend upon those reservoirs for their livelihood, their power, and their water it's almost going to be cut off. What is going to happen? And we haven't, we haven't talked about those, 
you know, those consequences of our actions. And the way we're managing water now is not going to be sufficient for the long term. So we need to come together and have some serious discussions as a country about how we are going to protect our extremely fragile and limited freshwater. Vicki, through our, through our work with the Inland Ocean Coalition, we, and as a communications person, spend a lot of time thinking about how can you get people to care about water. And, you know, standing on the, on the banks with a U.S. senator and saying, this river's going to die if we don't do this and this, and we send out a press release, and nobody cares. We get 300 hits on the website and maybe a little article in the paper, and then it's moved on to the next thing. But I think if we can get people to love the water and see and embrace the beauty of it and the importance of their daily lives, that's how we can make that visceral connection to help them care about it and then protect it. And I love how you go about your swims. You know, you're bringing in community, you're bringing music, you're bringing in joy. And, and I, you know, with a lot of the work that we do that David does, we all do, you know, it's, it can be very depressing, you know, looking at ocean issues and mm-hmm. But even though we are working very hard to address these issues, you're right. You have to bring in joy and you have to bring people and you have to have a sense of hope. And that's what's really cool about all of your swims. You, you do that. And I just think that is the neatest. Um, but I do want to jump in. You've mentioned a couple of times about uh, talking about wanting to talk about Lake Pound, Lake Mead. And I, I want to go back um, mm-hmm. And, and tell us a little bit about what's happening with that and, and what kind of things can we do to really be aware and address some of those issues. You betcha. Well, in the past 20 years, you know, we've reached, uh, we've reached a time where people are paying attention because the levels are so low and, and the runoff this year was so poor, you know, it was just so bad. And the Western Slope of Colorado is not getting hardly any water and fields are lying fallow. Yet we're sending water, you know, downstream to fill these compact obligations. You know, there's eight states in the Colorado River Basin, and we all have an agreement of how that water gets divvied up. Well, there's 25% less water to divvy up. And there is more, you know, heightened, heightened demand, especially in places like Las Vegas and St. George, you know, where real estate prices are just going through the roof and there's, you know, a hunger for development and all those developments need yards and water. Um, You know, we all need a place to live. I'm not begrudging that. It's just how do we manage it? And so what's getting really scary is that as we came out of, you know, we did the Green River Swim and then our team of 16 people ran Cataract Canyon, which was a blast. Uh, But um, as cataract, you know, and Lake Powell has been shrinking for 20 years. We've been in a sort of sustained drought where it has not, you know, it's, it's sort of leveled off in some years, but it hasn't ever increased, you know, in the past 20 years. And so you can see in Cataract Canyon where some friends of mine from the Returning Rapids Project are documenting these, these old rapids that are returning with the, with the old flora and the fauna and the, and the native habitat and the fish um, that was all drowned out by Lake Powell. And there was, a, there was a 150 foot wall of sediment that, that hangs over. It's like a different canyon 
Um, you know, Floyd Dominey, who built Glen Canyon Dam and was the most prolific dam builder in the United States, the Bureau of Reclamation, Floyd Dominey fam- famously said that there silt would never be a problem in these dams. Well, it's, there's a 150 foot layer of silt. And so what has that done to then the lower river areas that needed that silt for rejuvenation and for, for you know, uh, habitats and flora and fauna? So um, Lake Powell, you can see it over the past 20 years, the way it's dropping, um, it's, it's a lot smaller than it used to be. And the same with Lake Mead, you know, you see this huge bathtub ring in Lake Mead and the, the marinas don't even function because the boat ramps are so up much higher, right? So, but the importance and the reason this matters is because 40 million people depend upon it. And what are we going to do if these systems and infrastructure fail? What happens? I think when Dave Brower, even Ed Abbey said, we want the canyons back, they weren't thinking that uh, the reservoirs will run dry and that's how we get them back. Um, I, I think we're in a situation where we have to completely rethink water use. And of course, it's, it's, it's a system. It, it evaporates off the oceans, you know, comes down to us and rain onto the land, feeds our farms and uh, creates a, a cycle, but the cycle's in danger. So I know in California, for example, 80% of our water goes to ag. We got to stop growing water intensive almonds to ship to China or hay for Saudi racehorses, stop growing rice in a desert and rethink the arid West. And, and I'm, I'm excited that your swims engage and, and address these, these issues of water availability of climate impacts on uh, ecosystem, both terrestrial and marine. Yep. Well, and it's when you're in the water for long periods of time, you start to think about your space on this planet a little bit differently. And that um, some scientists discovered a fossil they called Tiktaalik, which they believe was the first animal species uh, fish to sort of walk from the muck onto the land. And, you know, over the evolutionary cycle, just developed from a fish into uh, uh, an animal. And then after many millennia, some of those animals said, hey, this isn't so great anymore. Let's go back into the ocean. And those became our mammals and our whales and dolphins and et cetera. So you look at our evolutionary history and we truly are fish. We're fish out of water. It's why our bodies are so much made up of water, why we're so connected to it. And it's also... um, you know, Vicki, we love to talk about the blue mind, right? And that state of being. It's not a secret why people like to take baths or go sit by the ocean or like to swim long distances in rivers. You know, I don't think I'm that crazy, even though my mom would have disagreed. Um, you know, I think it's pretty natural. And it the, the science, the neurological science in our brains has shown that we're better by water. We make better decisions we're calmer, we have better, um, you know, emotional capacity where we don't get so distracted and, and janked up. Um, I like to tell, tell people when I'm swimming too, uh, I imagine a fish that, you know, they just kind of exist and do their thing. They're not real emotional creatures and they just swim and exist and eat, and, you know, 
enjoy the water. I mean, I just don't think it's that complicated. And I think sometimes we complicate things so much. And that's why I love swimming. It just sort of boils it down. You know, after you've been in the water, after three or four hours, you've thought of everything in your entire life to think of that brings you to this point. And after seven or eight hours, you go into this very Zen, you know, state of existence where you're really just focused on breathing. It's very simple. Unless sometimes it's in the Caribbean, right, Vicky, where there's, you've got waves smattering you in the face and your support pilot is throwing up over the edge and your coach is yelling at everybody. <laughs> but generally, it's really amazing. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I'm really excited to see water becoming a part of this conversation of, of climate change, because I think it's, you know, people focus on the glaciers and those are the big kind of visible things. But, you know, our, our rivers, you know. Leonardo da Vinci thought of rivers and oceans as the exact same function of blood veins in our bodies. And that, that you needed this sort of healthy cycle of flushing and filling and movement um, and richness to, to keep the planet alive. And that's, I think it's so true. And that these, these are the veins, these are the lifeblood of our very, you know, mother earth. And I don't think people, you know, David in Louisiana, you ask somebody where their water comes from and they say, well, the tap, you know, if they turn on the tap and they pay their bill, what's the problem? I can use as much water as I want it. There's no connection there. And so, you know, the tagline at American rivers is rivers connect us. And so they've shown time and again, where you take a, take a drying stream in the Southwest and all of a sudden it starts flowing again and people come out and communities start to develop, develop and people have picnics and there's people on the water and enjoying it, you know, and in, in so many ways, the city of new Orleans is a, a connection point between French and Spanish and Haitians and uh, all, so many different people of the world that come together at this point of the Mississippi River and the Gulf, you know, this major trade route. So in so many ways, rivers connect us um, spiritually and physically and emotionally. It's as you say, it's like the ocean is the heart, the beating heart, and the lakes and rivers are the vessels and capillaries that keep the planet alive. But I tell you, the, the water in Lake Pontchartrain is cleaner than the Boulder Reservoir. <laughs> you know, it's honestly, Vicki, I mean, it, you know, um, it's it's cleaner and people don't, but they don't make that association. And no gators or bull sharks join in your party? Well, um, what's really interesting is that uh, when I was finishing the swim, I was like, why are all there's, there's all these first responders there and fire trucks and EMTs. I'm like, this is really strange that the mayor was there. It turned out like an hour before as people were starting to gather and I was, you know, kind of out there a couple miles away, there was a alligator sunning itself right on the boat ramp where I was supposed to come up. And so they got these two Cajuns, you know, these two guys like, you know, oh, man, I'm going to go get that alligator. So they, they literally like caught it right there in front of everybody, but it was a mama alligator. And they're like, well, hopefully the, the, the babies aren't anywhere around, you know, um, but I didn't know it until the next day. And 
there was a picture of me on the Times Picayune, you know, swimmer makes it across the lake. And then underneath it had a caption, Gator pulled as swimmer approaches. <laughs> so, I'm just glad they got it. Moving on, do you have any new swims planned? <laughs> you know, it's tough because I feel like I'm really trained. I'm in good shape, but I have a lot of, you know, personal things going on. I just had a book come out on June 10th from Routledge Publishing called Ignition. That's available. So I've been doing a lot of work around that. And what is um, Ignition I, on? Yeah. Ignition is uh, about the art of controlling your environment and it's uh, Ignition Superior Communication Strategies for creating stronger connections. Matt, thank you so much. I love how you just bring water and recreation and awareness and, uh, and advocacy together. And, and you do it with so much joy and you have a lot of fun while you're doing it. And now a word from our sponsor. Oil and gas is what plastic is made of. Single-use fossil fuel plastic can't be thrown away because there is no way and less than 9% of it gets recycled. Instead, the ocean has become a dumping ground for plastic waste that kills millions of seabirds, whales and turtles, dolphins, and other animals every year. Synthetic plastic is also accumulating in the human body with unknown health impacts. That's why the Sierra Club Marine Team suggests a few simple things you can do. Reduce your personal use of plastic, encourage friends and family to do the same, and support the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act and that will hold the petrochemical industry responsible for what it produces, the Sierra Club Marine Team, because 71% of the environment is salty. To learn more, go to Sierra Club Marine Team on Facebook. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier with hosts David Helvard and Vicki Nichols-Goldstein and with the support of Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curlow. Rising Tide's editing services and additional technical support are provided by Studio Cape May of San Diego, California. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenvarg. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast, at www.bluefront.org or download it anytime from Apple, Google, or Spotify. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear It's true, it's the blue frontier Tear, tear, Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky. <laughs>